Philippians 3. It has been a joy to labor in this text over the past couple weeks. It has been rich. It has been rewarding in my own study, and I felt as though I was just peeling back layer after layer after layer of gold. And we have already really honed in on some specific things in this text over the past couple weeks. Today, we will pinpoint a few things, but my goal is to give you a big runway and just to give you the overall 50,000-foot view of Philippians 3, verses 8 through 16. And there's so much that I could target specifically that I will avoid that this morning. And we'll just try to get the big picture to really see what Paul is saying here. So this is a very personal text. Uh, The corollary to this is Acts 9. Paul gives his conversion experience. I guess Luke gives the account actually in Acts of Paul on the Damascus Road. And you see what happens externally in Paul's life when he meets Jesus, the observable facts that you could as an onlooker see. But Philippians 3 gives us a window into his heart and what was going on internally through his conversion experience. And I I want us to read these verses. We've already read a couple of them over the last few weeks, and then we'll get to some new ones here at the end. But Philippians 3, verse number 8. Here we go. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may, and then Paul's going to list eight things, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many be perfect be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. As I studied this passage, I was reminded of Jesus in a couple parables he gave in Matthew chapter number 13, where he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is walking through a field and he stumbles upon a treasure. And he goes home and he sells all that he has so that he can purchase the field and possess the treasure. And he goes directly into another story and says, it's like a man who trades in pearls and he finds a pearl of infinite value, an extremely rare pearl, and he liquidates all of his assets so that he can purchase and that he can have this, this rare treasure, this pearl. And Paul, in many ways, is saying through this text that he has found Jesus, he has found the treasure, he has found a pearl of infinite value, and he has liquidated everything else, he has set down everything else so that he could possess and have and pursue the treasure that is Christ Jesus. And the root of self-confidence has been forever plucked from the heart of this man, and now Through faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, he has gained the treasure. And this is something that I'm calling the showcase. If you have ever watched The Price is Right, you know exactly what a showcase is because they move at the end of the show to the showcase showdown where contestants will bid off against each other to win this prize. 
And they always, you know, enumerate what the prize is beforehand. You're going to win a trip to Tahiti and some exercise equipment that no one ever wants. And you're like, why did you put that in there? That was left over from last show. And then a new car and they go crazy and everyone's excited and, and jumping up and down. And they, they give the showcase that someone can win. I actually went to The Price is Right when I was getting my master's degree in Southern California. A group of us guys from our dormitory, about 15 of us, uh, made the arrangements in our group. We got there for The Price is Right, and it was an interesting day. They, I won't enumerate everything that happens that day, but we got to the show, and they called down one of our buddies, Kevin. He got called down to bid, and sure enough, Kevin won a bid. And he got on, I don't know what game he, he played. It wasn't Plinko. I would have remembered that. But he, he played some sort of game. And Kevin won a pool table. He won the game. And now he's going to be spinning the wheel. So we're going crazy. You know, we think this is the greatest thing ever. We're just going nuts. Drew Carey is calling us the Pentecostal boys. And he's just, you know, it was, it was just, it was a lot of fun. <clears throat> so Kevin is going to spin the wheel. And the person before him, if you know the show, spins 99 cents. I know, oh, but Kevin spun a dollar. He spun a dollar, won a thousand bucks, and went to the showcase showdown. This is not a joke. I'm not making this up. You can find it on YouTube, I'm sure somewhere. It aired around April of 2010, okay? You can go look it up. Kevin goes into the showcase, and he is so out of his mind excited that he bid a bid on his showcase, which included a car and another trip and something else. He bid a bid that was unintelligible. He, I promise you, he bid something to the tune of 3,100 cents dollars. I mean, it was just like you, you had, and Drew Carey looks at Kevin and says, do you mean $30,000? Yes, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. So $30,000 it was, and Kevin wins the showcase. Wins the showcase, we run up on the stage, we're jumping up and down, climbing in the car, hugging the models, you know, all of it. I didn't. I didn't. I had a, a fiance at the time. I did not. Other guys did. Great time. Kevin won truck, trips, all this sort of stuff. It was unbelievable. But he won that day a showcase, and he was excited. And let me tell you, we were excited that he had won this, this treasure in our eyes, in our estimation. And what Paul is going to do in verses 8 through 11, and you have to pay attention to the punctuation, it's this one big flowing thought. He starts in 8 and he ends in 11. It's one giant sentence where he piles up one on top of another these descriptors. And he's going to say essentially, I've won the showcase. Now this is extremely difficult. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to machine gun through this. Because what Paul is going to do is he is going to compress the New Testament into like three verses. He's going to take all of this that he's gained in Jesus that is spelled out in chapters and books throughout the rest of the New Testament, and he's just going to condense it all down in these verses, which is extremely tempting for me. Like, we could spend a year on these three verses explaining each of these aspects of what we get in Jesus Christ. I'm just going to hit them very quickly. You can study them in, in greater depth on, on your own time. But Paul is saying, I've won the showcase. So look at verse number 8. Doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency or for the surpassing greatness of, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. There is something just unbelievable, over the moon, over the top, excellent, awesome about knowing Jesus. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung or refuse or just I'm done with this, so that I can, he's going to list eight things. 
Number one, that I may win Christ. I'm just calling this salvation. Paul is saying, I have laid down all of my religious resume, all of my Judaism, all of my do's and don'ts, all of my being a good boy. I've laid down all of that so I can have him, and I've won Jesus the grandest prize of all. Then he, he continues. These are just commas and semicolons joining all this together. I won Christ, and I'm found in him. Theologians can call this preservation. They've called it a few different things over, over the centuries, but he's saying, I, di I didn't just get him, I'm in him. It's not just I have the prize and then I could lose it. Where did it go one day? I am actually in Jesus. I am secure in Jesus. John 10 says that, that those that know Jesus, his sheep, are in his hand and no one can pluck them out of his hand. That we're in him. We're secure in him. That I have one Christ. I'm secure in Christ. I'm found in him. Then he spends the rest of verse number nine basically saying that I don't have my own righteousness. I have his righteousness. His righteousness has been imputed unto me that it's not about what I'm doing or not doing. I've gone from achieving to receiving. I've gone from trying to earn and work and have a religious resume to having a religious referral. That now I'm given righteousness, not based on what I've done, but based on what Jesus has done. He has given me right standing with the Father, not because of my own merit, all because of Jesus' merit. He has done this for me on the cross. He paid for my sins. He has earned right standing for me. That's a glorious truth that we celebrate. He says that I'm, not, I'm justified. I'm made right with God because of Jesus Christ. That I may know him, he says in verse number 10. Knowing him outstrips everything else. We talked about this last week. I, I have relationship with him. I now can go to him, not just a passport to heaven, but I get to know him. Now I get to walk with him, talk with him, have relationship with him. I get to know him and then the power of his resurrection. There is a dynamic energy working inside of me that is made available to me that I can use to move through this life. That, I, that is available to me to walk the Christian life. That this isn't just, hey, see you in heaven one day, Paul. Have fun, figure it out on your own. No, there is something inside of me. The power that comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ now is made available to me. There was no power in the law. There was no power in my own flesh. But there is power in Christ. And now I am working mightily according to his working which, work, which worketh in me. Now I understand that this, I need to rely on the dynamic energy that is in Jesus Christ that's made available by his resurrection and, he says, the fellowship of his sufferings. I will gladly, is what Paul's saying, once again, we could spend a long time on this, I will gladly participate in his suffering because he suffered. The servant is not greater than his master. The master suffered. The master was persecuted. So I understand a servant as someone below Jesus that I will suffer, that I will be persecuted as well. And through my suffering, the world will know that I'm on team Jesus and I will identify with him personally and I will also get to know him better. I will also enter into deeper relationship through some of these dark days and tough times that come my way. I will there find a comforting, loving, sympathetic, merciful, high priest who loves me and cares for me that I can find a friend who feels my pain, who wants to walk through it with me, who wants to teach me, guide me. Many of you would probably give the testimony of there have been some dark days. We actually sang about that this morning. The choir did that, that even though there's been some, some tough times, I wouldn't trade them because God's been good. And many of you would testify to the fact that through the darkest times, I grew the most. 
through the storms and the trials, although I didn't want them and I'm not even wishing for them again, it's that that pushed me closer into Jesus Christ. And, and Paul is saying, look, the world can go to the bottle or to the, or to the psychiatrist or to the mall even if they want to to try to cope with their pain, but I have Christ. I, I know Him. I know the power of His resurrection. I know the fellowship of His sufferings. And then he says, being made conformable unto His death. I'm identifying with Him. I'm being shaped into the image of Jesus. My, my life is cruciform in its shape. It's marked by the cross. Through this, through my, my faith in Jesus Christ, I am being made to look more like Him and He is shaping me and He is, he is honing me. He is, he is making me into His image. And then He tops it all off with a verse that most people just leave off. Most people just cut the sermon at verse number 10, but verse number 11 goes with it. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Let me just touch on that for a minute because that's a a bit more complicated for two reasons. Number one is it could seem at first glance that Paul is saying like, oh, this is iffy. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, there's a big question mark. Also, the resurrection of the dead just is not as common of a thought in, in many Christian churches, and it should be because it's deeply biblical and deeply theological. Here's what Paul is saying. If you know the writings of Paul, you know that there's always a future orientation to his thinking. There's a layer of thinking to this man that is missing from many Christians that should be there. That his heart is bent towards the future and what will be realized one day in Jesus Christ. The Jews believed, and long before Paul was saved, long before he knew Jesus Christ, he would have believed as well in a resurrection at the end of all things. Jewish people have and do believe this. And there's several verses. Daniel 12, 2 is probably the most clear one that uh, those that are asleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That at the end of all things there'll be a resurrection, some to life with God, some to contempt or death. That, that's something that has been realized. And this is why the resurrection of Jesus is so just profound to the Jewish mind because they never would have thought of a singular man in the middle of history rising from the dead. But Jesus does, and Paul is now saying that if I am to have a blessed resurrection day, future, one, one day, and that's, that's the truth, one day that does away to Christian, we can oftentimes think of heaven as this ethereal float around in the sky in this almost translucent body like I'm in spirit world. And certainly to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but we understand that we will move through eternity with a resurrected body. That's, what, that's really what awaits us. If you want to study this in further detail, go to 1 Corinthians 15. You can find it where Paul says Jesus was a first fruits. He, he was just the beginning of the harvest that we too one day will have our bodies raised and that we will move through eternity where this corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality and it will be a physical existence through a new heaven and a new earth. And Paul is banking on this, loving this, cherishing this and saying, if I'm going to have a blessed resurrection day, if I'm going to have a, a good time rather than a bad time, if I'm going to have everlasting life rather than contempt and condemnation, then that also is by the means that I already spelled out. All of this, I've, I've laid down all of my religious resume and put my faith squarely in Jesus so that now I can see, receive all of this. This is the prize. This is the treasure. This is the showcase. It's not just here and now, but even one day, there will be a resurrection that awaits me that I count on, made possible because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Let me put it just very simply. I'll just bottom shelf it. 
Paul is saying that my eternal future is not based on my religious credentials. I threw those in the trash a long time ago. My eternal future is based on Jesus and what Jesus did for me. That, that is how I know. That's the hope that I have. That's the future. It's all resting on Jesus. I would make it more applicable and say it this way to you. If death causes consternation in your heart, if you could not pillow your head at night and rest assured that if you didn't wake up from your sleep, that you would be with Jesus, that you would go to heaven, if that was something that there was angst inside of you about, there is a Savior that offers a secure future. And don't leave the harbor without the captain on the ship. You want to be sure, that's, that's very valid, it's very biblical, to, to want to know that I have heaven, to know that my eternity is secure, to know that I will be there, that I will be with, with him or with relatives that are there. That's, that's very valid to want to know that. 1 John 5 tells us that these things have I written unto you. It's the end of the book. John says, I wrote the whole book. To you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And if you don't know that, then that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. He uses the same phrase twice. All of it hinges on how can I know that I have eternal life? How can I know resurrection is mine? How can I know that I will have heaven, that I will, that I will spend eternity with Jesus? It's all based on the belief of the name of the Son of God. It's all based on faith in Jesus. And Paul says all of this. Look at the showcase. Look what is mine. Look what I have gained. Look what I have in Jesus Christ how could I, how, why would I not sell it all to buy the treasure? Why would I not liquidate all of my religious assets in order to have this pearl, in order to have this prize? I've won all of this, and all of this is filtering through what Paul has won, through the filter of not me. He offers it freely, and I have received it, and I trust in him and him alone. And Paul is doing a beautiful job here of taking so much theology and just cramming it into a couple verses to say, look at what I have. Look, look at what I have in Jesus. Look, I, I get him, but then I'm secure in him, and I, I have his righteousness imputed unto me. I, I get power in him. I can move through suffering even because of him and, and draw deeper. I get to know him and have relationship with him. My future is secure because of him. Look at everything that I have in Jesus. I count all my other previous religious stuff. Forget that mess. I got Jesus. That's all that I need. Look at my showcase. Then he moves on to a very natural line of thinking. And he says this in verses 12 through 16. If you were to, once again, there's so much that I could pinpoint here that I'll resist the urge this morning. But Paul is going to say this, that he followed Christ with intense focus. And he starts with a very normal thought. He says in verse number 12, not as though I'd already attained either were already perfect. Now that can be, admittedly, slightly confusing because 11 uses the word attain, 12 uses the word attain, it's translated that way, but they're two different Greek words. So this is actually a new thought. And what Paul is saying is, you may be tempted to think that I've arrived spiritually. You may be tempted to think, I'm the Apostle Paul, he's been saved 30 years at this point, three decades. I'm the Apostle Paul. Look at what I have. I just told you that there's, there's excellency in Jesus and, and the knowledge and the relationship and the righteousness and the power and, and all that I have in him. Look at all that I have. You might be tempted to think that I've arrived. There's no more growth. There's, there's nothing more to attain. There's nothing more to pursue that I can just kind of kick back in my, in my recliner and I can be okay. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Understand I have not arrived. Understand that I, I have not 
become so spiritually mature that I have no growing to do and I have nothing to work on. Understand that in my life, don't assume that I've, I've reached a state of spiritual perfection. Some of you perhaps have a Wesleyan or a Nazarene background that would teach the idea of you can reach a state of spiritual perfection. Honestly, outside the scope of my sermon this morning, but this is a great passage that would refute that idea that, that we never reach a point where we are spiritually perfect and that we can't, we'll be sinless and can't sin any longer until we get to be with Jesus in glory one day. And Paul is saying, I'm 30 years into this. Look at all that I have in Jesus. I, I am after this, but don't think that I've arrived, that there's no more growing for me to do. There is, there is still some work for me to do. And Paul is going to say, I am pursuing my Christian life and I am pursuing Jesus Christ with intense focus. Here's what he says, middle of verse number 12. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We know the power of intense focus. We, many of you this summer, maybe even this weekend, it's been kind of hot lately. Maybe you went on vacation somewhere. You felt the intensity of the light from the sun. Some of you have gotten a sunburn this, this summer and, and you, you, maybe you didn't feel it, maybe in the water and you didn't realize it, but you, you felt the heat, you felt the intense focus and you were subject to that. But you can take those intense rays from the sun and you can harness them and focus them even further. If you take a magnifying glass and you hold it up just right, you can take those rays and you can point them pretty singularly towards a spot and now if you're a mischievous mischievous child, you can burn an ant, or if you're a boy scout, you can light a fire, because you have harnessed or more intensely focused the light coming from the sun. If you were to take a laser, you could even, which is just more intensely focused light, you could cut a diamond with it. It was interesting to, to study a little bit about laser light over the past week or two, not that I'm an expert on laser light, but I know a little bit, and you can too with the help of Google search. If you just type it in there and start reading a little bit, regular light goes in all directions. You flip on a bulb and the light just begins to, to disperse all over the place. Laser light is gathered up and it's pointed in one direction with singularity of mind. Regular light will operate on a number of wavelengths. Laser light will just be one frequency, one wavelength. And it's singular in color depending on the frequency you choose. But the sum total is that there is power in the intensity of focusing this light together. And you take a broad spectrum of light and you gather it all up and you push it in one direction singularly. And now instead of having a light bulb, you have a laser. Now instead of just something to see in the darkness, now you have something that can cut through a diamond because you're gathering this up and pushing it towards a singular point. What Paul is saying here more or less is that he is gathered up and pushed towards a singular point. He uses, he uses the word dioko three times in this passage, uh, verse 6, 12, and 14. Verse 12, he says it this way. It's translated, but I follow after. It's idioko. I, I press, I push. That's what it says in verse number 14. I press, same word. It's the same word he used in verse number six when he said, I persecuted the church. 
dioko the church. You say, how could Paul say, use the same word to persecute the church, and now I'm, I'm pressing towards Jesus. How could he use the same word? The, the word really just means to pound. It means, when he said he persecuted the church, what he's saying is, I did my best to gather up the church and to pound it into oblivion. And now I am seeking to gather up myself and pound myself toward Jesus. Now I am pressing. Now I am moving towards. Now I am pounding. Now I am, I am with singularity of mind and intense focus. I am moving towards my Christian walk, towards Jesus Christ, that I am pressing, pursuing, trying to move in a very intense way towards Jesus Christ. I have met people over the years that have said, I'm a Christian, I'm just not one of those born-again types. And most of the time, it's just due to some misunderstanding of what born-again means, but I understand what they're saying. They're saying, I like Jesus, and I, I like to do my Christian thing, but I'm not all crazy about it. I'm, I'm not just constantly talking about it and constantly just that that motivates me and I, you know I like church but I don't like overly like church like I don't just want to be there all the time I don't want that to be all of my life I've known some of those born again types that that do that that they everything in their life is is moving that way when I hear those words I automatically know what this person is saying is they're saying Jesus gets part of me that I'll push part of me towards Christ. I'll push part of me towards Jesus, but I'm not going to push all of me towards you. And what Paul is saying is my entire life, I seek to gather everything up and with singularity of mind, I want to push and pound myself and press myself toward Jesus Christ. This is what he says in Colossians 1. He says, I labor. Those of you that have given birth to a child, you know what labor is like. I labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. I rely on his resource and his power and his energy, but I am laboring, I am striving, I am pushing, I am pressing. This is a beautiful place where Christianity is made simple. This passage makes it simple. It's not difficult to understand. I, through faith in Christ, enter into a relationship with him, and I am given the grandest showcase of them all, Bob Barker and Drew Carey have nothing to offer compared to this. I have won the treasure. I have won the prize. And because of what I have, I now surrender all and I push everything towards Jesus. It is, it, the Christian life is supposed to be intense. It's supposed to be radical. It's supposed to be all or nothing. It's supposed to be either or. It's supposed to be something that, that we pursue with vigor. If you're looking for a hobby, church is a weird one. You can pick up fishing, you can pick up taekwondo, you can take up mountain climbing, you can choose to get your pilot's license, you can combine some of those. You can go fishing off a mountain while doing taekwondo. I don't know. You can, you can pick all those up. That's fine. Pick up a hobby and tinker with it on the side. Have at it. Pick up golf. Pick up cars. Whatever you want to do. But Christianity and church is not supposed to be something that you pick up as a hobby and becomes part of you and just this side thing that, I, that exhibits you know, part of my life. It's supposed to be something that is an all-in affair. It's supposed to be something that is 100%. You say, Pastor, if, if my Christian life is not the subject of gathering myself up and pushing myself singularly towards Jesus Christ, are you saying that, that I shouldn't come to church then? No, I'm saying continue to come to church, but don't make it a hobby. 
be all in and be serious about it and push yourself towards Jesus Christ. Paul is saying if, if Christ is worth anything, he's worth everything. I'm taking me and I am pursuing him with all that I have in a very intense way. And the Christian life is not supposed to be a cafeteria line where you walk across and say, you know what, I'll have a little bit of salvation, but I don't want any lordship. I, I, want, I want my get out, of hell, get out of hell free card, but I don't, want, I don't want God to be in control of my life right here now. That's not the way it's supposed to work. If you, you don't just tip your hat to Jesus. You bow the knee to Jesus. And this is why people struggled to follow Jesus. Because they knew that and he told them that. People either saw who he was and they ran away in fear. And I've said this, I don't know how many times, but it bears repeating. They ran away in fear or they took up some sort of stave and wanted to kill him because he was claiming that he was God. Or they bowed the knee in awe and wonder and surrendered all. There's not a lukewarm, tepid response to Jesus. It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be, Paul is making Christianity very simple. I have faith in Christ. Look what he's given to me. Forget my religious resume. Now I take myself and I push all of me with intensity towards Jesus Christ. I am pursuing him. And I love the way that he says it in verse number 12. He says, it's not as though I already attained. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after. I, I dioko, I push, I press, I pound. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He's saying something grabbed me and now I'm grabbing. Something has apprehended me and now I want to apprehend and return. Something has possessed me. Something has taken me and now I'm trying to possess myself. I'm trying to, to get a grip myself. Jesus has a grip on me. I'm trying to get a grip on this. And if you're a Christian, you should be able to relate with that. I love the story of Peter Pan. You have the, the Darling family, Wendy, Michael, and John. They're all peaceful, trying to sleep, and the nursery door is open. And another worldly figure comes in and offers them adventure and excitement, and they fly through the nursery doors. And if you're a Christian, there should be the sense where you understand the nursery doors have opened, and another worldly figure entered, not just our world, but now has entered your life. And there is adventure and pursuit that you want to fly after. That you want to forget sleeping in bed. That's boring. I'm, I'm going after the pixie dust, right? There should be a part of us. Let me rephrase. There should be all of us that wants to push towards Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, I have not arrived yet. I'm not perfect. I, I still have some growing to do, some learning to do. But I am pressing toward, I am pushing toward Jesus. He has a hold of me and I want to get a better grip on him. And then he says, verse number 13, brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. He repeats, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. There was a lot of baggage in Paul's life. There's a lot of stuff he had to lay down. He he previously killed Christians. He tried to do much damage to the church, and now he's trying to propagate the church. He's trying to support the church. He's trying to establish churches, and you don't think that messed with his mind a little bit? Then there's a chance that Paul met the husband or the wife or the cousin or the uncle of someone in a church somewhere, and he had killed their relative. I can't find an occasion where it spells it out in Scripture, but I could almost bet that it did happen. 
You don't think that that would have tinkered with his brain just a little bit, his emotions just a little bit? He says, I put that in the rearview mirror. I'm looking at Jesus. I'm gazing at him. I'm pressing forward. I am moving forward. I am reaching forth. I'm straining and yearning and going towards Jesus Christ because I want the prize. He says, my, my Christian walk is a matter of intense focus. The casualness is over. The indifference is over. Coming to church when I feel like it just as a hobby is over. I am pursuing him. If Jesus Christ is still in the grave, nothing really matters. But if he came out of the grave, nothing but that matters. And Paul gets that. I am going after him with all that I have. I'm reorientating everything. My outlook, my perspective, pick, pick a topic. Everything's pressing towards him. My view on people, Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Jewish mind who inevitably would have looked down on the Gentiles, would have hated the Christians. Now, out of a heart of love, my view of people is all different. The way that I view my money now, it's all different. I'm to steward it. I'm to use it for his glory. The way that I view sexuality, the way that I review, or view my responsibilities, anything that Paul had, all of life would have, be, would have been reorientated towards Jesus. You say, Pastor, that sounds fanatical. Like, I've known some fanatical people. And that's generally not a, not a descriptor that we use in a positive way. Is it radical, fanatical? Generally, those are negative connotations. And some Christians would look and say, I've known some fanatical Christians. I don't want to be anything like those people. And we picture in our mind, you know, maybe someone in a white robe with a you know, picket sign walking around Times Square, you know, yelling condemnation at people or something when we think of radical or fanatical. But that's, that's not at all what Paul is saying here. And I, I would argue that those people are not fanatical enough. They, they're partially fanatical. They are not radical about graciousness. They're not radical about love. They're not radical about hum, humility and humbleness of mind. There's only a portion of them that's been gathered up and pushed Paul's saying, I want all of me, I want intensity here to push, to be pushed towards Jesus. And honestly, if I was just super candid, I want this for your sake. Is there a part of me that wants this for our church collectively, for our church's sake? Yes, there is. Is there a part of me that would want every single person in this room to be fanatical and radical for Jesus and to push all of your life towards him for the sake of the kingdom? Absolutely, yes, there is. But in my heart of hearts, I want this for you, personally. Because you will find that there is something extremely liberating and freeing about pursuing one thing with singularity. You will find that if you will be intense and gather up and pound all of your life towards Christ... That will be the most liberating thing you could ever do for yourself. You won't be hemmed in by Jesus any more than a minnow will be hemmed in by the Atlantic. You will find clarity. You will find, it's not that nothing else would ever matter, but everything else will be trivial in, in comparison to who Jesus is and your pursuit of him. And if you will do that, you will find that you, will, you won't miss out on anything. You will gain everything. You will find a freedom and a joy and a relaxation that is made possible by solely pursuing Jesus and Jesus alone. I read a story along these lines about a, a young boy who lost a dime. 
And he was crying about it. And his dad came over and tried to console him. And his dad put his arm around the, around the son and, and said, son, it's, it's going to be okay. It's, it's just a dime. It'll be all right. And tried to console him. And, and he left. And 10 minutes went by and the boy was still there, weepy, just grieved over this dime. And, and by now the, the father was getting a little, he just wanted him to get the, get the big picture. And he tried his best to sit down and say, son, it's, it's just a dime. You have me. You have my love for you. Like, I will make this whole. You're not lacking anything. I have everything that you need. I'll provide for you. Don't, don't worry about this. Don't cry about this. And the author used this illustration to basically say, are, are you weeping over something? And if you understand who you are as a Christian, you understand who Jesus is, anything that you lose is just dimes. Anything that would come your way, any suffering, any, any wrongdoing, even maliciousness on the part of someone else, what is that when you have him? When you get who he is and you get what he's given, you get the treasure, the prize, the showcase that is yours, and you're pressing towards him, then all that life has to throw at you is your Teflon. We said it weeks ago, the world's in checkmate. You can't be maneuvered in such a way to where you lose because you understand who you are and who he is. And if, if you say, well, pastor, I don't think that way. I don't think that it's all dimes and I have Jesus. And, and that's the point. You haven't gathered all of yourself up and are pushing everything towards Jesus. That's the point. And Paul is saying, I press, I push everything I want. Verse number 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What he is really after here, the prize, the, the, what he's going to gain and pressing towards Jesus is to know him. It's a relationship with him. We talked about this last week. It's not just believing in something. It's not just a little bit of casual, I read my Bible and pray when I feel like it. It's, it's to know him. It's to have his presence. It's to walk with him, to talk with him, to commune with him, to give him everything. And when you have that, you will never be filled in a good way. The stomach gets filled with, full, with food, but the heart of love never gets enough of the beloved. And for some of us, we, we need to ask ourselves, what's in the way of this? Is it lethargy? Am I just apathetic? Is it, is it busyness? There's so much that I've, I've just crowded my life that God just, I'm not able to pursue him. Is it I'm mad at God? Is it I'm afraid of what other people will think of me? I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, the goal of the Christian life and what should be reasonable even is to push on with everything. Paul says this, two more verses. I'm out of time, but two more verses. Verse 15. And I love this verse, by the way. One of my favorite and probably all of Scripture. Let us therefore as many be perfect or mature, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. That's Paul for the win right there. I don't know if you understand what he just said. Paul just said, if you're mature, you think this way. And if you don't think this way, keep on thinking. God will get you there one day. That is Paul saying, what I just told you, what I just explained to you about all that you have in Jesus and all that you need to do to press and to gather yourself up with focus and move towards Jesus Christ. If, you, if you're mature in Jesus, you get this. And if you don't get this, you just, just keep on trying. God will get you there eventually because this is maturity. 
I love that he says that. It's so abundantly clear. He's like, don't argue with me. No wiggle room. This is how mature Christians think. Then verse number 16, to put a cherry on top of all of it. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. So if you've already accomplish some spiritual victory, if you've already attained something, if you already feel like, man, I have a pretty good relationship with Jesus and I got a hold of him, if you've already experienced some growth and some victory in your spiritual life, he says, keep on walking the same way, keep minding the same rule, keep thinking the same thing. Don't switch gears on me. Don't, don't go another way. Don't buy into another philosophy. Don't try a different growth pattern. Stick there. Keep your foot on the gas pedal and understand you keep on pursuing and you keep on pressing on into relationship with Jesus. You keep on gathering and pressing into him. Keep on doing it. Either way, he says, if you don't think this way, you should. If you do think this way and you've arrived a little bit spiritually, keep on thinking that way and keep on pressing on. Paul is just absolutely throwing the gavel down on this thing. It's saying, case closed, this is it. Understand. And, it, and it's, so, it's so wonderfully simple, but so beautifully complicated at the same time. Understand that if you know Jesus Christ, if you have faith in him and him alone, Understand the treasure and the prize that you have in salvation and out of understanding what you have been given freely, bow the knee, surrender all. Not, not just pastors, that's reasonable for me, but it's reasonable according to scripture for every Christian. Draw a circle around yourself and say everything in this circle belongs to you, Lord. I am pursuing, pressing, pounding all that I have in my life towards you. Paul says, think that way. Live that way. If you're already living that way, keep living that way. It's, it, he makes it so simple. This is the Christian life. Faith in Christ, what he's given to us, now I pursue him.